Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. of the Essendon People podcast. Uh, today's episode being our elimination final review for the game against the Bulldogs that was played last Sunday. Uh, so, Brendan, fair to say we're probably a bit flat. How are you, how are you going a couple of days post-loss? Oh, yeah. Uh, still still flat in that, uh, with the, the stages of grief, I think you're talking, go from anger to, to depression. I think at the stage of just kind of resignation now, I think I've, it's a Tuesday night. I've just started to accept it. Um, kind of, as we said, kind of tipped that we probably would lose. Uh, but you're just disappointed at how uh, the game turned out and especially that second half. You know, at, at halftime, you know, I thought, oh, you know, we're going okay. We might lose by a couple of goals. But, yeah, that, that second half really left uh, a sour taste in the mouth. What about you, Mark? Yeah, I think that's a good... That's a good summary, actually. I, I was very angry, I think, on Sunday. Not not at a particular player or the club, just in general at the result and um, uh, and I guess just everything that goes with it. But, uh, yeah, I think, like you said, probably today is the first day where I sort of started to get over a little bit and um, maybe look back on the year and see that it wasn't it wasn't uh, to be taken away from the year. That, that last half shouldn't put a stain on the whole year. Uh, it was obviously a very positive year, uh, considering what we we're all expecting. And I think that that's important to remember for all Essendon fans. I think it's probably a good time as well just to say that, obviously, we get fairly beat up uh, as Essendon Football Club on social media. And there was a lot of people, you know, spruiking the 6,000 whatever days it was and all that. And I, I think it's just important to say, like, I, I don't buy into that. Every club's got something you know Carlton hasn't won a final and hasn't even played a final I think in something like 10 years and you know St Kilda hasn't won a flag in 50 or 60 years and Richmond were terrible for 40 years before they become successful and every club's got something so you know that's something that uh, gets used to just to stir the pot with vested and supporters and um, yeah there's not much to read in there or get sucked into anything there so I think once you once you see past all that fluff and um, and uh I guess people who just like getting on the bandwagon, then the re- the actual year was quite successful, and there's a lot maybe to look forward to. Oh, I always say to you, Mark, it could be worse. We could barrack for Carlton, so uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. When it's all said and done, right, it's not going that bad because there's a whole heap of other poor, other poor souls that have got it much, much worse. <laughs> yeah, so I think um, with that, we'll jump into I guess the review and. Uh, Try and make this show, I guess, as positive as possible. There, there were, despite the loss, uh, there were some positives to come out of it. So we'll, we'll jump into those in a minute. But uh, in terms of the score, I guess everyone knows um, Essendon four goals, 12, 36 to the Western Bulldogs, thirteen goals, seven, eighty-five. So we lost, unfortunately, by forty-nine points. The first half was quite good. Uh, we were inaccurate in the first quarter, one goal, four uh, to their two goals, one. Um, we. Obviously, 
trailed, I guess, still by three points a quarter time. But we had the better of them the whole first quarter and could have could have easily been different. It, it was dry at the start of the game and um, the pressure was right up. We, we were controlling the ground really well and had a lot of ball in our forward half. And we just failed to capitalise and convert. Um, and I think that that first quarter, although on paper, you know, looks fairly close, I think we, we really dominated that first quarter and really started the game well, which was pleasing because it was a big stage. And I guess a lot of Bomber fans were maybe anxious how we would respond um, to that stage. Yeah, I think it's kind of like if you could sum up uh, how the day went in terms of one player, you'd probably go maybe Jai Cordwell. He was outstanding in that first quarter. He was everywhere. I, I was, we were a bit nervy, you know, bringing him in after such a long layoff. But after that, at that quarter time, I was like, oh, oh it's a master strike. Uh, <laughs> yet we were to know that it kind of it, it fell away, obviously, through through a bit of lack of fitness there. But, um, yeah, having the uh, the five scoring shots to the Dogs, three, um, as is the story of this game and every game we've kind of talked about this year, conversion, went at 20%, the Dogs went at 66 uh, you know that kind of didn't didn't really improve too much in the uh, in the second quarter. There, we essentially it was a nil all draw. We both had six scoring shots and we both kicked three goals, three behinds uh, for the quarter. So really, the first half was pretty you know level pegging. We were only trailing by three points. Uh, we had the eleven scoring shots to the dogs nine. So you know. Only two scoring shots more, but the conversion was at 36% to the dogs, 55. And really, we've talked all year, if you're converting even at 50%, you're going pretty average. You need to be up more near your 65, 70 at a, at a minimum. Um, yeah, and I guess what happened at halftime was probably the rain setting. <laughs> and that really, as we all know, we've struggled in – in recent years, um, in the wet, I'd probably say the last time we did any well in the wet was uh, Zaharakis, uh, and that was a long time ago now. So yeah, second half, Mark, how did you? Think, what happened there? Yeah, so I think I said about how well we played in the first quarter with the pressure. I th- I feel like we limped into halftime a little bit. I think we needed the re- the reset and the break, and we're hoping that 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 would come at a good time considering we had a bit of pressure on us in that second quarter. The third quarter, it didn't really go to plan, I guess, after the halftime break. So the Western Bulldogs kicked three goals, one. We kicked zero goals, three. So four scoring shots to three. However, they managed to win the quarter by 16 points. So it saw us trailing by 19 points at three-quarter time, which isn't an unassailable margin on a normal day. But when you've only kicked sort of the four goals for the game, at, to that point, and um, it's pretty bad rain. It was, uh, I think, once the point it went past sort of a two-goal lead, it was going to be pretty difficult from then. It was going to need something pretty special. Uh, and unfortunately, that didn't come. And the, the last quarter, things got worse, I suppose. And we uh, we only managed the two behinds in the last quarter to their five goals too. So they piled on another 30 points, which, um, yeah, that saw them winning by, by 49 points there. So... I guess the second half, um, you know, the third quarter, we're kind of hanging in there again. Maybe a few things didn't go our way. We didn't obviously make the most of some sort of some chances. And then uh, I think the last quarter, 
it kind of all got a bit too much, I think, and we just sort of started to really fall away uh, once it was sort of known that it was that it was going to be too much to come back from. Yeah, I think even though the the fourth quarter there looks much worse, seven, seven scoring shots at the two, we only got the two behinds to their five goals too. The game was lost in the third quarter, right? Just that separation, that 19 points. And it wasn't so much the margin. It was also the way they were playing. They had the bigger bodies. They were cracking in. That They were proving to everyone why a month ago they were on top of the ladder, why they should have been top four. And we, they were just kind of getting the ball forward, playing it smarter. Their better players were starting to get the ascendancy in the middle and kind of making it really hard for us to transition the ball. We really were struggling to get the ball out of our back 50 through the midfield there. So, you know, we, we only had, you know, five opportunities in the second half to score, right? And that's because the ball wasn't down there, right? And when the ball get down there, obviously we we converted at the uh, mighty margin of zero. <laughs> so, yeah, last quarter, I think once those first couple goals were kicked, they really knew they were – it was out of it, especially – given our, you know, poor performances in the wet. So young, younger side, I can, that happens in finals. They kick a couple of goals on you when the game is done. So the overall margin I'm not too concerned about. It's just, um, yeah, not, maybe some lack of creativity in the coaching, which has kind of been a little thing we've kind of noted throughout the year. Nothing to really change the game. I, I guess also, you know, we were really hampered by selection. You know, Nick Hine was a massive out, right? He provided that really dr- that drive out of the back line. He could have maybe created that spark for us. And same with no tipper up forward, you know. We didn't really have any of those spark players for us. Jake Jake was well held. Um, kind of seemed like he was played played a bit deeper forward because with Wright and, you know, and Francis not being able to mark the ball, they thought, oh, we'll get it to Jakey in the forward line and can do his thing. The problem was the ball didn't get there, so Jakey was out of the play. <laughs> he needed to be in the guts. It's one of those things where you need two of him, you know. You want him in the middle or to kick to him up forward. So, unfortunately, we didn't have that. Yeah, and I think this that's surprisingly, um, considering the margin, didn't see a huge disparity in a lot of the stats. I guess something that stuck out was they had 22 more contested possessions than us. Um, we managed to have 16 more tackles, which is usually a great indicator, uh, I guess, of where you're going in the game and how you're going. But um, I think in this game, it was maybe a bit the opposite. It was wet, so there was always going to be more tackles. And uh, it probably just showed that we didn't have the ball uh, a lot of the time either. So um, there's a few a few things there that kind of skew a little bit when you look at them. Yeah, and we had the, the 16 more tackles across, across the ground, but we were down eight inside 50. So they were getting repeat stoppages, repeat shots at goal. We couldn't move the ball out. So, yeah, it was really um, – one thing we did stand out in is obviously hit-outs. Their big big drapes did the job against, you know, a makeshift ruckman and you know, a little bit of uh, Tom English. Uh, but we couldn't convert that. So we were down on clearances overall. And then, obviously, in both centre clearances and stoppage clearances. So, yeah, we couldn't really get the ball going our way, even though we had the ascendancy in the ruck. Yeah, and then the inside 50s, uh, yeah, considering the margin, 
51 to us, 56 to them uh, for inside 50s. So we generated 16 scoring shots. They generated 20. Uh, it's the conversion like we spoke about earlier. They went at 65%. We went at only 25%. So that's probably one of our worst performances all year for conversion. And uh, it really showed, I guess, in the results. So um, I guess it's been something that we've spoken about a lot and uh, it, it raises its head again. Yeah, and I think some really interesting statistics are disposals per scoring shot. So we were, we went at like 23 disposals per time we put a, had a shot at goal. They went at 18. So it's not it's only four, four, five. It's not a big difference. But obviously through our inability to convert, disposals per goal kicked, dogs went at 28. We went at 91. <laughs> so it conversion just killed us. Uh, we did not make the best of our limited opportunities, especially in that second half. Right. You know, and you talk about if we had a converted earlier in the game, we maybe could have gone in half time with a three goal lead. Right. And then when that run on in the third quarter happens, you know, it brings it back to, you know, within a kick. You know, so yes, we lose the quarter, but the overall margin is still quite manageable. Then you give yourself a fighting chance in the fourth quarter for to kind of thing it. But unfortunately, we didn't have that buffer to kind of absorb the dogs' scoreboard pressure. And if we look at our, I guess, our season stats for during the home and away season compared to what we had in the, that elimination final. Um, there's a few differences there. There's not, uh, to be honest, I thought considering the result, uh, I, I guess I expected it to be a bit more damning, but um, we actually had more kicks than normal handballs were more or less spot on exactly the same disposals, almost exactly the same. We managed far less marks, but that maybe is attributed to the conditions, the tackles. We had sort of 23 more tackles than we usually do, but again, maybe attributed to the, to the conditions, I guess the scoring, it really stands out that we, we kicked uh, nine less goals than what we the, what we averaged during the year. So that really hurts considering that we lost by eight goals. Um, so, so far, I guess you can kind of, it's kind of not too bad. And there's a few things attributed to the conditions and then like the conversion that we spoke about as well. So, yeah, we were way up on hit outs. And that's probably got to do with the, the dominance of Draper. It's really coming into his own and the dog's not really having a recognised Rachman. You know, we were way up on one percenters, uh, maybe to do with the conditions, but also the intensity of a final blokes, you know, season on the line, working really hard. Um, I guess the, the one real standout for me, you know, is probably bounces. Well, you know, we normally average, you know, about eight bounces per game and we only had one. Now you might contribute that to conditions. Maybe it's not as, um, as good, but, yeah, there's just no flair. Like we talked before, Nick Hind out of the back line, creating that run and drive. It was it was a real big, real big loss. Yeah, I agree. Um, we might jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I'll start us off with the good. The Tassie Bomber faithful were out in force again. It was really good to see pictures of people with their families outside of the ground and in all their wrestling gear and the. The game instantly had an Essendon home game feel about it. There, there's a sea of red and black through the stands. There was, I think, sort of circa 10,000 people there or so, and uh, they were really vocal uh, as well. So we've had great support from the Tasmanian um, locals uh, for two games now this year that we've had to go down there. So fortunately, we were able to get a, 
to get a win for them against Hawthorne earlier in the year, but this time not so much. But uh, it was considering that it was raining and not great conditions on a Sunday afternoon, uh, the Tassie Bomber faithful really turned up in force. Yeah, and uh, and they stuck around too. Like even like as the game goes on, you could kind of see the direction it was going, but they still stayed and they still cheered for the boys and got got stuck into the umpires, which I think <laughs> uh, they had every uh, had multiple opportunities to do. Um, but yeah, so I guess we'll kind of touch on um, it's the same names we touch on every week, really. Parish, Merritt, Ridley. Even the captain, Dyson Happel, all had pretty decent games, especially when you consider um, the conditions there. So, obviously, Parrish had the had the 35 disposals at 71%, kicked a goal, had the 11 clearances, six inside 50s. You know, Jordan Ridley, I thought, was massive, playing, played a really important role on Norton, uh, had the 17 disposals, went at 82%. In the wet, had you know eight intercepts and eight rebound fifties. Zach Merritt had the thirty-one, nine tackles, five inside fifties, four clearances. When at the when at the sixty-one percent efficiency, he was probably a bit down on his his normal output there, but um, was certainly in and under, and he was just trying to, I think, play wet weather football, just progress the ball forward uh, at all costs, and then obviously Hep. Uh, at, at the halfback line, the 24 touches, seven marks, uh, six intercepts, uh, and went at, you know, 75%. And what did you think of that? What is essentially our leaders? I, I thought it was really encouraging. And um, I guess as well what was pleasing was that there was a mix of, I guess, the experienced guys and the not-so-experienced guys. Uh, so Jordan Ridley obviously played probably less than 50 games. He's you know, was named in the under-22 team uh, only last week. So he's he's got a, a long career ahead of him, hopefully. So it was, it was pleasing to see such a young player. Um, Darcy Parrish, someone who's, you know, under 25 years old, he's, he's played a lot of games because he's um, he's been good. But, uh, again, he's got, got sort of some years ahead of him. And then um, Zach Merritt and Heppel have been around for a little bit longer. But pleasing to see a good mix of, of both yeah, less experienced players and um, and our more experienced and senior uh, senior sort of seasoned players as well. Um, another guy who was really good we touched on earlier was Sam Draper in the ruck. So he had a really he obviously had a massive role to play um, to be able to try and win the ball in the middle for our for our mids. And I thought he battled really hard. He had uh, the eighteen disposals. Um, he went at sixty six percent efficiency as well for a ruckman in the wet. That was. That was really good. He had four tackles on his own, the 44 hitouts, got five clearance on his own. He did a lot of those little things again, the kicking off the ground, the tapping it forward, the pushing it, pushing people out of the way and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I thought Sam Draper was was really good. And, again, one of those inexperienced guys who, you know, first time in a final, hasn't played many games of AFL at all and um, wasn't overwhelmed by the occasion. Yeah, I think it was kind of a, a four quarter performance from Big Drapes and he battled away all day and really tried to set the uh, the tone for physical pre- presence. So I think that was really important. Obviously had the uh, two shots on goal, kicked the two behind. I think one one was probably gettable. The other one was maybe a bit a bit tougher. Uh, but, you know, that's obviously we well know he's kind of kicking for goal, something he's maybe got to work on a little bit. But, um, yeah, I think 
the next thing we'll talk about is the uh, two key backs. Obviously, there was a lot of ball inside 50. Um, it was coming in, uh, you know, sometimes a bit of dump kick, so high and long. So I thought James Stewart and Jane Laverty had good games. Stewart in particular, I thought, was one of his better games for the year, and he's had a, a number of good games this year. He had the 16 disposals, seven marks, went at 87%. Had the uh, had the six intercepts. I thought uh, it played a different role. We talked before about Ridley playing on Norton. I thought maybe that would have been the matchup for for Stewart. But you know, some talk about they're wanting to you know kind of teach Ridley a bit more some of the defensive side of the game, and and Stewart they wanted to use his height and marking ability to maybe develop some more intercept marking. So um, I thought that was. Uh, that was really good of him. And Lav, obviously, 12 disposals, 83%, six intercepts. A um, couple of occasions he got he got caught out. He gave away that free free kick to Waitman when he when he kind of did the Selwood shrug. And uh, and then there was he, he got short, got caught short playing behind when I think it was English or Shacky just turned around and it just fell in his lap. So, yeah, it was... Um, well, you know, just a, a good solid performance. He certainly was one of the better players on, on a pretty dirty day. Another guy um, who maybe didn't stand out uh, as much, but Andy McGrath played a pretty selfless role dropping back and helping the back line out. So obviously played in that defensive half of the ground a lot. Um, he was a bit fumbly. I guess it's, you know, wet conditions and... Um, and, you know, hasn't been back in the side for very long at all after a fairly long layoff with injury as well. So maybe that kind of explains it a bit, you know, going up to finals pressure, um, you know, for some of these guys who only recently came back into the side. Uh, but he he had not a bad day. 15 disposals. He went at 66% efficiency. But um, I thought that he's, yeah, he's worked to get back and, and to help out in the back half of the ground. He had seven intercepts, uh, two round 50s. So... Um, I, I thought that his his team game was quite strong in that he played his role really well. Um, maybe needs a a little bit of, of work, I guess. Um, hopefully uh, over the off season, just on his maybe a little bit of skills and a little bit of composure. But I think it's been a little bit hard for Andy this year, kind of with the midfield being so strong. He's maybe been thrown into a couple of different roles throughout the year, so um, mixed in with a bit of injury um, hasn't probably been ideal for him, but. You can tell that he's just a, a really genuine, good teammate for people and uh, in the locker room, and I'm hoping that he gets an uninterrupted preseason and, and comes in strong for next year. Yeah, that 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 defensive role that he plays in midfield is going to be really important going forward because, you know, Stringer's quite an attackive player. You know, Merritt and Parrish they look to clear the ball, get it forward. Parrish is always kicking those long kicks inside fifty. So to have someone as the sweeper at the stoppage, he kind of folds back a little bit, helps protect the back line so the ball doesn't get in there quick. Think thinks an important role. Um, obviously, the big challenge over summer is going to be able to find the best midfield rotations and mixes there because, you know, you would say McGrath's best football was when he played in the middle and he was attacking going forward and he was really taking the game on. But you can't have... <laughs> six players in the midfield all taking the game on. You really do need guys to kind of work the other way. Um, so, yeah, that'll be just a challenge for the coaches there. So um, we'll kind of move on to the bad there. Um, 
just <laughs> we talked about it several times. Inability to play in wet conditions, you know, proved proved again that as soon as soon as it rains, we're no good. You know, flat real flashback to the uh, the Brisbane loss at the start of the year, where you know we just got beat comprehensively around the ball, and we just put our back line under so much pressure that you know their skills were down. In some players were fumbly, and just the opposition was just so much cleaner. Right, that's they they were able to convert because they were cleaner. They had better skills. They were able to adapt to the conditions and the pressure that the conditions brought. So yeah, certainly something we really have to to work on there. Maybe maybe they need to go out there and uh, you know water restrictions permitting and kind of uh, soak the ground over summer and kind of maybe train it a bit. But, yeah, it's certainly been a, a trend for a long time. Yeah, the other one was, uh, I guess, a couple of players who came back from injury. So we spoke about Andy McGrath having a bit of an uh, interrupted season and maybe coming into the intensity of finals um, was a bit sort of difficult to come back. A, a couple of other guys where it stood out maybe a bit more was Jai Caldwell and Dylan Shields. So, Jai Caldwell, obviously, this was the first time that he played since round two. So he's played literally one full game for the entire season and then came back to play in the uh, in the final. So started really strongly, like you said. I'm not, I can't remember how many possessions he had in that first quarter, but he finished a game with 14, and I reckon probably close to half of those were, were in the first quarter. Um, he went at 64%. He uh, he got four tackles and, and helped out with a couple of intercepts, but uh, all in all, pretty quiet quiet game um, in the last three quarters there from Joe. I think he just ran out of petrol tickets. Um, I don't think there was anything wrong with his endeavour and his effort and his application, but I think just the match fitness, uh, I guess coming back into a senior side at all when you're a young, inexperienced player, this is a guy who's probably played less than 20 games in his life and uh, of AFL football and then coming into finals intensity uh, through your first appearance in finals as well is, um, is pretty challenging. And then Dylan Shields, so bit more of a senior player, but had that knee interruption during the year. Um, he's been back for a few weeks. So he did rack up the 24 disposals, but he went at 45% efficiency. There was some really key, uh, some really key turnovers. He had eight turnovers, four clangers, um, four tackles as well, but only, you know, three one percenters. So he's just, he's, his skills just weren't up to it and his composure just wasn't up to it on the weekend. I think we were both pretty frustrated. There were some key moments where he, I guess, maybe missed opportunities where he could have helped us score and then there was turnovers which resulted in scores. And I think I don't want to sort of knock a bloke who's had a bit of a bad day and if there's anyone that's going to bounce back, it'll be Dylan. But um, it just it just didn't happen for him on Sunday. Yeah, he's kicking, you know, I, I still maintain... His issue since he's came back in the side has been his fitness. He just doesn't look like he's been able to cover the ground as as well as he has in the past, right? He always try, he's always he always looks at me and barks. He works really hard there, but I've, we've made mention a couple of times in, in in previous weeks how he just wasn't himself, right? His kicking has been always been an issue. Um, I'll back him in to work, really work hard over summer on that, you know. The conditions probably played a part in that disposal efficiency being as low as it was as well. But a number of those errors that he had happened early in the game before the rain really hit. And I guess 
the the fumbled mark in the goal square that was yeah that was really you know, I don't know, heartbreaking. I don't know. If I don't want to oversell it there, but it just looked like the pressure got to him. He was looked like he was maybe worried that there was a, a tackler or someone was going to come over the top with a spoil or something, and he just he almost overthought it before he before he got it there. So yeah, to uncontested mark at the in the goal square into yeah. Wow, it was a tough day for forwards. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yeah, tough day for forwards, especially the key forwards there. Um, Peter Wright and Aaron Francis there struggled. You know, Francis had the uh, had the known disposals, only the three marks, three inside fifties, and went went at thirty three percent. Yeah, so from his nine disposals, only three were effective. Uh, and then Peter Wright, the seven disposals. Nine hit out, so he helped help drape in the draped in the ruck, but exposure efficiency was only fifty seven percent. But what what's really stands out there with with Peter Wright was his score involvements were down. He only had two, you know, his inside fifties was only one. That's really a key part to his game. Kind of getting up the ground, traditionally marking, turning around, getting it forward, getting it in there. I don't think Mark we were expecting him to kick seven goals straight like he did last time, but yeah, I just think the conditions and the lack of ball going away, especially in that second half, really impacted his ability to, to contribute. And I guess, you know, we'll talk about it later, but could, could something have be, been done with Francis and Wright maybe chat in that third quarter, flick, flick, flick things around a bit to try and get them involved in different areas, maybe do, do the old uh, sheety move. The key forwards go back, the key backs go forward, maybe just try to create some chaos. You know, if you're going to lose by six, you might as well lose by eight. You might as well lose by 10, 12, whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. The other one was the small forwards. We just really didn't get anything out of our small forwards. So Archie Perkins only had the six disposals, um, failed to hit the scoreboard, only the one tackle as well. So not really putting a great deal of pressure on, Had didn't have any score involvements. Um, Devin Smith had the 13 disposals but went at 53%. He had six tackles. He had four score involvements but uh, only kicked the one goal himself, which was from a pretty dubious 50-metre penalty um, in fairness. So that was maybe not what it seems. And then uh, Will Snelling, um, really good contributor normally, but uh, the 15 disposals at 53% again. Um, so same as, same as Smith there. So seven tackles. Yeah, the five score involvements uh, didn't kick a goal, kicked two behinds. Uh, Alec Waterman, 10 disposals at 40% efficiency, failed to hit the scoreboard as well, only had the two tackles and the one score involvement. So, uh, granted, Smith and Snelling, you know, got some decent tackle numbers each. Um, but of, of those four guys that were just listed in Perkins, Smith, Snelling and Waterman, uh, only one kicked a goal, which was from a from an umpiring um uh, influence and uh, I guess outside of that there's what two two behinds um, out of the four of them so we didn't really get a lot of tackling we didn't really get a lot of pressure didn't get a lot of disposals and just didn't really generate much from our small forwards which was in complete contrast to what was happening at the other end of the field for the Bulldogs yeah and speaking of that the um the, the medium and small defenders had a, had a bit of a rough day. Oh, if you, so we're talking about Tommy Cutler, Marty Gleeson, Mason Redmond. 
I actually thought if you look at their stats and if you're just casually viewing the game, it's played okay. Okay. But I think what's, what what hurt them was the lack of drive that they were able to generate and maybe Hind being out, you were kind of on the lookout forward and maybe you kind of you noticed it a bit more. And then obviously what the the dog small forwards were able to do, which would have come on these days, the guys they would have been playing on. So, you know, Cutler had, like I said, 21 disposals, went at 71, you know, had two inside 50s, the eight intercepts. Marty Gleason had the 18 disposals, 77%, six marks, five intercepts, an inside 50. You know, Redmond, 18 disposals, you know, nine intercepts, four marks, you know, five rebound 50s. These were okay games. It's just, you know, it's kind of what they did with their possessions and what, what their opponents were able to do going the other way that probably saw them. I feel, on reflection, I feel harsh having them listed in the in the bad there. I think that's probably a harsh call, but, yeah, <laughs> we didn't have a lot of winners on the day, so I guess <laughs> people, someone's got to go in the bad. <laughs> Yeah, and in the um, in the ugly section here, it's pretty much everything we've sort of spoken about already in the first half hour here. So, conversion obviously to go at twenty five percent, like we said earlier, it's just a pretty terrible day conversion wise. The second half we spoke about, we highlighted particularly in that third quarter where we where we failed to um, you know really make an impact on the game, and then I think the the last quarter was more of a we more gave up than anything, I think, in the last quarter and in, in the last 15 minutes there especially. So uh, the second half was obviously really disappointing not to kick a goal. Um, and then I guess the last item we had here in the ugly was that it was another finals blowout for us. It was probably what we were all dreading. Um, I think me and you were both happy going into this that, you know, accepting the fact that more than likely we wouldn't win the game because they've been the better team all year and uh, we kind of snuck into the finals. But I think we would have been happy to compete and stay in the game and to have put in a real good four-quarter effort. And I think up to half-time, that was true. And then the second half, obviously, that faded. So uh, having another finals blowout was uh, was the last of the uglies here. Yeah, and I think from there was some talk on the coverage there that it was our lowest score in a final since 1950 or something like that, I think it was. And then it was also to not score... Any team in the competition not to score a goal in the second half in the final, I think it goes back to 1908, the over 100 years. So, yeah, when you in isolation, yeah, it's a bad day. We factor in the weather, our inability to to think. We had a very young side, and we had 10 players, a half the side playing their first final as well. So, you know, that's good experience for them, but obviously the lack of experience maybe showed on the day. Uh, a lot of those dogs players, uh, premiership players from 2016, so they have have finals experience. And yeah, let's um, let's move on. I'm over it. I'm done. <laughs> so the last the last thing to do here to round this out before the break is um, let's just quickly do our last votes um, for the Essendon People Podcast Player of the Year Award, the Heath Hocking Medal. So. I'll quickly roll through mine and then hand to you. My one vote, I go to Andy McGrath, two votes to Sam Draper, three votes to Jordan Ridley, four votes to Darcy Parrish, and five votes to Zach Merritt. 
I want one to James Stewart, two to Sam Draper, three to Zach Merritt, four to Jordan Ridley, and five to Darcy Parrish. All right, we'll go to a quick break and we'll come back with a bit of club news. Is some news that came out today that David Zaharakis uh, will not be offered a new contract by the Essendon Football Club. So uh, he's come out and said that he does wish to continue his AFL career. So uh, obviously at another club. So he's 31 years old. He's played 226 uh, senior games for Essendon across 13 seasons, was picked up at pick number 23 in the 2008 National Draft. And uh, I guess the, the the cool story line behind it was that he grew up an Essendon supporter, was uh, drafted to Essendon and has had a, a very long, uh, recognised career uh, at Essendon as well. Yeah, um been been a very good player for a long time there. Obviously, won the uh, won the Crichton Medal in his third season. Um, won the Best Clubman Award in 2019. Obviously, won the Anzac Day Medal in 2013, which was a a very good game and a lot of good players played that day. I thought, you know, Job was outstanding that day. But yeah, Zaka had a had a really good game. Um, so obviously a life member of the football club. And yeah, um, I think he's kind of fondly in the hearts of all. Essendon supporters there really probably started the trend of um, of Dodoro picking uh, Essendon supporters uh, <laughs> becoming players there. I think obviously that's happened in the past, but it was a real trend from that point on. We seem to have picked him up there, and um, yeah, who can forget uh, his his clutchness? You know, the amount of goals that he kicked to win the games. Everyone knows about the Anzac Day uh, goal, but my my favourite is in the um, was it 20, 2013 when the saga broke? I think it was the second last game of the year against the Blues. Uh, Mick Malthouse was coaching there. Um, and he kind of was a bit of a calamity of errors late. I think Nick Comer, the blast from the past, kind of got to handball out to Zaka. And he, he kicked a goal to bury them late within the last minute or two. And I think the, the call was Channel 7 game from Brian Taylor at the time was, Saharakis, he's done it again. Uh, so, and to, um, yeah, to really stick the knife into Carlton, as we all know, I dislike Carlton. So, anytime anyone does something to beat Carlton, uh, they're in my good books. So, uh, yeah, he's just, uh, how many times has he done that for us? And um, played a variety of roles. It was kind of started off as a half forward kind of pushed up onto a wing, played in the middle. Uh, as he got a bit older, kind of moved to a bit of halfback. Um, really, really improved his defensive efforts uh, over the years too. Um, as he got a bit older there, uh, put was more willing to tackle, especially when he started moving into the midfield there. Obviously was a, was a key player for us in, the, uh, in 2016, in the year that we had the suspensions there. And it's been in the leadership group, a number of times, so he's, he's highly rated by uh, his teammates there over a long period of time. Yeah, so a couple of quotes here uh, from David. He said, I lived out my boyhood dream to play for the Essendon Football Club, and for that I'll be uh, always incredibly grateful. It's been an honour to be part of the club. Uh, he leaves the club knowing that he gave it his all and hopefully brought some joy to the members and supporters along the way uh, who have stuck fat with the club and um, that the club is a better place for it. So I think we can definitely say that... Uh, 
he definitely brought us a lot of joy. And we, I know that me and you in particular really love watching him play. And uh, every time we kick a goal, we used to text each other or say to each other if we're at the game together. Yeah, so we'll miss that. Um, so he, he thanks everyone there for um, for his journey at Essendon and uh, says that it's been a surreal ride and one that he'll look back on really fondly. So um, he goes on to say that he, he looks to thinks he's got a bit to offer and um, will be looking to still continue playing AFL if he's, if he's offered a position at another club. So um, he wishes the, the playing group and the coaches all the best as well there in his, in his last quote. So um, I think some really nice words from David. He's obviously uh, a Essendon person through and through and it, it probably would have broken his heart to, I guess, be told that he wouldn't be offered a new contract. But um, he's uh, taken it really gracefully as, um, as we'd probably expect from David. I, think, I don't think I ever told you my uh, my boring encounter with David Zaharakis, did I? I don't think it was one of those boring encounters with football. So I was I was in many many ponds there up at the shopping centre there, and I'm walking through the car park, uh, and around the corner pulls this this red Holden Ute, right? And he's kind of like, oh, geez, that's a nice car. It was kind of brand new, right? And the guy kind of stops and drives past, and I'm like. Geez, that face looks familiar. And it was Zeka. And that's my boring encounter. He drove through a car park and I saw him at the Coles and Mini Ponds. <laughs> I, was, uh, I wonder if he remembers it as well. <laughs> uh, no, very good. Uh, did you want to walk us through just a, a couple of Ben Rutten quotes? Yeah, so um, it's, it, Ben says, David should be incredibly proud of everything he's achieved at his time at Essendon and we acknowledge his service to the club. For many years, David stood up to the challenge of leading our midfield brigade and developed into a vital member of our playing group, making the most of every opportunity that came his way. Uh, We had open and transparent discussions about our list profile with both David and his management. And to David's credit, he understood the decision. Uh, We wish David all the very best for his future pursuits. He will always be part of the Essendon family. And I think that that last point there is really, really rings true. We're obviously the Essendon People podcast. Uh, David, you know, he's a lifelong Essendon, Essendon person like us. He's obviously been, <laughs> been much more fortunate to, to be a lot better person, uh, player, to be able to get, you know, to play for the club and as a life member there. So um, I don't think he's, he'll be lost to football and I certainly don't think he'll be, be lost to Essendon there. I can see him in the future, getting involved in the past, past Players Association. You know, I think we talked earlier in the year, he's got a podcast that he runs with a mate of his that can be found on YouTube. It's quite quite entertaining. So I think he's got a lot of a lot of things going on off the field that will um, keep him occupied into the future. Another departure from the club um, post the game was the assistant coach, Dan Jordan, um, after seven seasons, we'll part ways with the club. So uh, he started in 2015 as the VFL assistant coach and then transitioned uh, into a full-time coaching position in 2016 as a development coach. From 2017 to 2019, um, he led the Essendon Football Club as the VFL senior coach uh, before being elevated to an AFL assistant coach before the 2020 season. So he was our, uh, our forwards coach and... Um, yeah, the club decided to, I guess, part ways uh, with Dan and his, um, well, no doubt be, be uh, picked up elsewhere and, and add value to another club. But um, looks like they're 
yeah, looking to, I guess, maybe restructure the kind of the coaching setup a little bit, maybe. Yeah, uh, he's had a big contribution in a number of areas there, Dan. By reports, he's very much well liked in the uh, in, by the players and the staff at the club. I think um, he was coach of some pretty successful VFL teams there. Uh, I think he's credited at bringing uh, Nick Hine to the VFL program. They obviously played with each other in the Ballarat there and um, – he kind of got him in the VFL program and then eventually drafted and obviously I think was a, was a real lure for, for Hein to come back to the club uh, after his time at St Kilda. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward. There's obviously this position is now opened up as a, as a line coach being the forwards and obviously um, with the departure of James Kelly earlier on in the year, there's probably another spot available in the coaching group, whether or not that ends up being a development role or they try to do something a bit different. There's certainly scope there. And, you know, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I think it was great success bringing in Gian Syracuse this year. Um, fresh set of eyes, di- different kind of coaching philosophy, different coaching experience, all kind of melding into uh, a new group and kind of picking the eyes out of it, making the best decisions. So, I'm looking forward to see who they decide to bring in. The last bit of club news we had here um, for the formalities is the All-Australian. So uh, the All-Australian team was selected last Thursday. As we were recording the podcast, uh, I think at that point we found out that Zach Merritt was in and maybe we made a brief mention of that. But Darcy Parrish also made it in. Um, Before we jump into them, I guess Jake Stringer was uh, the one who missed out from the squad. He was... um, he was a little bit unlucky, uh, I guess. He had a pretty pretty solid year, kicking nearly 40 goals in the home and away season and, um, and had some really ripper games as well. So he was maybe a little bit unlucky, but they can't all make it. And um, there were some pretty good players that, I guess, uh, in the likes of Papley and uh, Toby Green and that that did make it into the side. So Stringer a little bit unlucky, but Zach Merritt and Darcy Parrish, uh, really good effort for them to be selected um, in the All-Australian side for 2021. Yeah, this is obviously Zach's second All-Australian there and Darcy's first. Um, what what can you say about, about Zach Merritt? He's just ultra-consistent. You know, he's in the, league, in the top 10 in the comp for disposals, effective disposals, inside 50s and goal assists. <laughs> what, more, what more do you need to do to be an All-Australian level player? And, and Darcy Parrish, we all know how dominant he's been this year. He won the Anzac Day medal. He won the Yukon Award in the Dreamtime. He won the Tom Wills Award in the, uh, the Farmers game, the country game. And, yeah, he's number one player in the league for center clearances, averages over 30 disposals a game, and obviously broke the, the club's all-time disposal record uh, that was previously held by Barry Davis with 44 in the Dreamtime game in Perth. So just, yeah, had... Outstanding years. Yeah, really good. Um, really good personal achievements uh, for a couple of players who contributed very well for us this year. Yeah, and b- before we go, Mark, I think we'll touch on some VFLW news. There, we obviously are really big supporters of the VFLW uh, side. We've obviously had game reviews all year. Um, I think we, we probably out of all the different pieces of media out there, we probably support the VFLW girls as much as, as anyone. So tonight was actually the VFLW uh, Best and Fairest Award 
So uh, the winner was Eloise Ashley Cooper. Uh, she was she won with 259 votes from Alex Morecambe on 242 and Alana Barber on 234. All girls had real real ripping years. Um, obviously made made a prelim final there. So yeah, it's uh it's outstanding achievement um, to do as well as they've done in the year, and obviously for for Eloise there to to win the uh, best of Ferris. She's only only just turned twenty one. Um, yeah, fa- fantastic effort there. Um, and we'll kind of touch on some some other awards there. So uh, Eloise also won the best club person, and was won the award. Don of the Year, which is voted by the players. Uh, the captain, uh, Georgia Nansquin, was the uh, best finals player. Uh, the leading goal kicker was, of course, Mia Ray Clifford. Uh, most valuable young player was Alana Barber. And the Libby legend is Silly Hay, which is an award also voted by the players. So, yeah, that, that kind of wraps up our... Our VFLW just kind of highlights there of the best and fairest. Um, obviously, I think we ended up having six VFLW players drafted to the AFLW there, uh, along with now getting our own AFLW license. So, yeah, exciting times ahead. And I think I can speak on your behalf here, Mark. We're really excited to continue to provide you some, you know, good content on the VFLW going into next year. Yeah, absolutely. We hope that they get a clean run at it next year um, and don't have any interruptions like what the last couple of years obviously has. So, yeah, we really look forward to um, to covering that. And then uh, that will obviously transition into AFLW as well, now having been granted a license for not next season, but the one after. So, yeah, really exciting to um, to uh, yeah, report on the women's football program and to, to follow their journey. Um, so that takes us through all the formalities of this week's um, podcast. Uh, maybe just a, a small note here. Um, unfortunately, something that tarnished, I guess, the the end of the Essendon game was um, on social media. There was uh, a, an incident where there was racial vilification of um, Anthony McDonald Tipper Moody. So the club came out and provided a statement and um, Tipper himself came out and uh, also uh, had some words to say as well. Um, to his credit, he was really um, very well spoken uh, in that, in, in the pet piece that he penned um i guess we're obviously like you said earlier the Essendon people podcast and that's just uh not acceptable and uh it got called out really quickly which is which is good to see um from other uh Essendon supporters and um yeah we hope not to see any more of that in the future it's just not not acceptable and it beggars belief why anyone would think it is so um just i guess from myself and brendan we just wanted to say that we are behind tipper and uh and I guess all Indigenous players for that matter as well, and um, and don't condone that sort of behaviour. Encourage people to, to continue calling it out. There's no room for racism. It's just totally unacceptable. Um, we understand people can be frustrated, but yeah, it's just a no-go zone. Right? It's just it's stupid. Right? It doesn't achieve anything, and it hurts players. You know, you read read the words of what Tipper had to say. The powerful statement from Tipper. Um, you know, it's you know we watch watch some of the clips of of Eddie Betts there talked really powerfully this year about kind of racism and how it's impacted him there. It's just 
it's just unnecessary. It's it's foolish. Yeah. So I think this, this someone's saying a say no to racism. It's hundred percent correct. Say no. Don't do it. Yeah, well said. So we hope uh, we hope Tipper's doing okay, and um, and uh, yeah, we look forward to watching him go about his business again next year. Yeah. Also, wanted to take the opportunity here to uh, wish Nick Hine the very best. They obviously uh, was unable to play because he um, went to a tier two COVID site there. Just you know, maybe might have got lost a bit in everything there about not playing. You know. His health is health is number one there. It's, it's good that he's tested negative. It's good that he seems to be that he's healthy. He hasn't caught COVID, and that he's safe. His family's safe. So yeah, really, really wanting to um just acknowledge Nick Hine did the right thing. Did the QR code. Uh, yeah, thankfully he's he's safe. He's healthy, and yeah, just wanting to put out our thoughts to uh to Nick saying we're thinking of you and um all the best. For next year. Uh, so that probably leads us in. I guess that that ends our weekly uh, game reviews um, until next year. But we are going to be putting together a season review, so we might take uh, a couple of weeks off or something to that effect, and then um, and then launch a season review. So in the meantime, if anyone's got any content that they want discussed or any um, questions or suggestions and the like. Uh, then yeah, feel free feel free to send it through because that's that's I guess the next podcast that we'll be releasing. We'll also be uh, doing our awards night, the uh, the Essendon People Podcast Awards. So we've obviously got the Heath Hocking Medal, and we've got a couple other ideas to recognise uh, some younger players and defend the defenders, backs, mids, finals players. So yeah, it should be. Uh, I'm actually quite looking forward to that show. Yeah, I've kind of been playing out for a little while just in the background there, and then of course. As we move into the off season, it's going to be trades, uh, you know. Then it's in the draft, so we'll have all that stuff covered. We'll have some some previews, some reviews that will all be uh, interesting, and then that's the type of stuff I think we, I think all supporters can enjoy because it's all about hope and wonder. Oh, can we get this? Can we do that? How does that impact next year? So, yeah, um, like you said, Mark, we'll just take maybe a week or so off, just kind of. Let, let the season sit, kind of reflect, and then, yeah, start being able to review it objectively and really celebrate what was a, uh, a very good year, you know. I think we've often overlooked maybe after the final there and the loss, but we had said that this time last year we'd be uh, – we would have played a final and you think, wow, we've had a pretty good year. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. It's um it's easy to get caught up in a in a finals loss and a, and a, and a sizable loss. But um yeah, upon reflection, it's been a really exciting year to be a Bomber fan, and uh, it's definitely exceeded our expectations. And there's probably a lot to look forward to now as well. And I think probably regardless of results, wins, loss, ladder position, I think for me and uh, I, I I think that you'd be on the same page here, Brendan. One of the most pleasing things is that come this time last year, we were in a pretty bad spot and there was a lot of questions on the club culture and, you know, what did the club stand for? Uh, I think we definitely got that back this year um, and that made, I guess, a lot of people proud to be uh, Essendon supporters. So um, that that on its own is uh, is a huge achievement and, yeah, don't despair. Uh, there's plenty to look forward to and, um, and it's not all doom and gloom. So uh, I guess the last 
thing we probably want to do is just thank all the listeners and followers um, of this podcast. Obviously, it was our first time venturing into something like this, and it's been really enjoyable. It's uh, there's, a, there's a fair bit of hard work that goes into it, and we put a lot of time into it, but it's all worth it and it's a labor of love because it's something we really enjoy talking about and, and doing so to have um i guess some input from people out there uh, on social media and, and the like sending in um comments and and providing encouragement uh, i guess has been really pleasing to know that this does actually reach some people who are also SM people and enjoy it so um yeah we really thank everyone who listens follows comments likes and and all of that um kind of stuff as well so uh yeah i guess from myself and brennan thank you for that yeah and yeah for from from a small idea of uh let's let's try and let's try and do something that might be a bit entertaining get some people involved and you know i think it was really sparked by by the name once we kind of that whole essen and people thing that happened there with the previous coach that really kind of sparked the idea and you know, I think I just want to reiterate Mark's words that, you know, even though myself and Mark kind of do the podcast, it's really the contribution of uh, the listeners at home, uh, the suggestions that they make. Uh, we're, you know, Essendon people, it's not just about us, it's about everyone. So we're always happy to take on board ideas. If people, you know, want to want to talk about something in specific, we can talk about that. If people want to even want to put ideas or things we should talk about, you know, segments and stuff like that. We've had all types of suggestions there and it's been really, really good to engage with people. A uh, lot, lot of good stories from listeners about how they've um, managed to get involved in the football club, where they started following the football club. Yeah, it's been, and also I guess it's been really uh, really exciting there to hear some stories and find out where people listening from all over the globe there. So some some areas you wouldn't – you would think, oh, my God, there's someone listening to – Two two idiots from Melbourne to talk about the, the bombers. Uh, yeah, it's 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 amazing. And uh, I think my personal favourite moment of the year for the podcast was it took about twenty or so weeks, but uh, we got you fired up enough to get on a rant and uh, drop a couple of swear words and, <laughs> and get a bit carried away. Oh yeah, that was. Well, we tried our we tried our best. Uh, tried our best that you, you don't. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it slipped through there, but. We could do a we could do a uh, Essendon people podcast after dark if we wanted to with the uh, X rated version with all the swearing and stuff and that'd be ten times easier to do because it just <laughs> you wouldn't have to kind of check yourself all the time because that'd kind of be more more our natural state I guess. <laughs> all right, very good. Well, it's been a pleasure um, for us and uh, Brendan. Do you have any uh, anything to add before we? Sign off for season twenty twenty one for uh, for the game reviews. Nah, just uh, thanks to everyone and uh, go bombers. Thanks everyone. Go Dons. <laughs>